The Sports Complex of the Horn. Welcome back to the Sports Complex on a Wednesday afternoon. Happy hump day to everybody out there on the show today. We'll get into another disappointing loss for the Texas Longhorns and what it means kind of going forward for this season and what our expectations can be put after another loss and a, on a hard stretch for these Texas Longhorns. Other Big 12 action that went on uh, this week. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll also get into some NBA talk. The trade deadline is tomorrow. Some small trades happening. Will there be any big ones? We will see as the trade deadline looms for NBA. Get into some NFL talk as well with the Super Bowl coming Sunday. The Cowboys have another candidate for defensive coordinator. Then I don't know if it's anything more than a publicity stunt. And also, it was National Signing Day, or it is National Signing Day, meaning Sark spoke to the media today. He didn't sign anybody, but at a good press conference. We'll play you some clips from that uh, with Sark talking about some Texas football going into next season. All of that, including your text messages, 512-447-3776, 512-447-3776. That is how you join the text line. We try to get to everybody on the show. We try to get to as many as we can. We uh, we ask you if, you if you have any questions or comments or you want to talk about something, you want to talk Texas football, you want to talk Texas basketball, you want to talk NBA, you want to talk trade deadline, you want to talk about the Super Bowl, you text in what you want to talk about, your take or your opinion, and we'll talk about it here on the show because you guys drive the show. I just try to keep it on the rails. Uh, it's a good day. It's a, it's a hump day. It's always trying to keep that mindset headed forward as we get closer to Super Bowl weekend that you know it's going to be a fun weekend and and uh you know it's it's going to be a good time but you have to get there first and so you say all right we're we're almost we're almost through it's four o'clock on a Wednesday so we're almost through Wednesday then a couple more days and we'll be right there all enjoying the Super Bowl this weekend uh enjoying uh basketball on Saturday hopefully basketball will be fun on Saturday I know it wasn't necessarily as much fun, but we get the trade deadline and the NBA comes up tomorrow. The NFL honors are tomorrow as well. Plenty to keep you occupied as we go on. Let's start off, though, with the the score, the story and the score of Texas losing and dropping another game uh, to Iowa State, dropping another home game, uh, just really becoming the worst home team in the Big 12, which is not something you want to be. In a, in a conference... That is notoriously hard to get road wins. You are the best road team and the worst home team. That is not exactly where you wanted to be if you were Texas. 
and it, it, it begs questions of how you're getting your team so up for being on the road. Now, they do have a very – there's some very hard road games coming up, and if you're able to win at Baylor and you're able to win at Houston and you're able to win at Kansas, then, you know, you solidify a resume and you get into the tournament, but you have to be able to win home games. Uh, you know, we do get – if you want to say the positive of being a good road team is, you know, in the tournament, you're not playing any games at home. So that home court advantage is going to be gone. So that's your one positive you can find in on all this negativity that's coming out about this game. But in reality, the the Longhorns dropped the game 70-65 to to Iowa State. Iowa State's a good basketball team. And once again, they came in with a fired intensity that Texas did not match early. Now, they didn't look outmatch necessarily early in some different facets uh, offensively they were not able to get going in the half court Iowa State was able to play them out enough on the perimeter and even when they were getting open shots they were not falling even when they were able to get to the rim they weren't falling there was too many times in the game that they were trying to make the extra pass because no one wanted to take a shot because of how cold they were shooting no one ever wanted to take that shot they wanted to find the dunk because the dunk was the only thing they felt was going to go in and even some of those Felt like they weren't going to go in last night. Dylan DeSue ends up being the guy that we know Dylan DeSue is. He plays as hard as he can in that first half to keep Texas in it. He plays as hard as he can in the second half to get Texas in it. But at the end of the day, the lack of production from the guards offensively comes back to bite Texas. They get outscored 36-19 in, in the first half. And they're not able to overcome that 17-point deficit. They win the second half. They win the second half by 12 points. They play basketball in the second half. And and we get to you know where we see that as much as you want to see Dylan DeSue, as much as you want to see the offensive rebounding and the second-chance points that you allow for, for ISU, that you allow them too many times in this second-chance points, that you, you once again are not heavy enough on the offensive rebounding and they're able to get some. And some of that is by design of the other teams when you don't have a rim protector and they attack the paint. And, you know, if, if Dylan Mitchell or Dylan DeSue has to come over or Caden Shedrick has to come over, you have to be able to rotate to try and put a body on someone and try and get somebody over so they don't have an easy path to the dunk. It was not done enough, and it really goes back to that guard play. Kendall Weaver didn't have an outstanding game, but a good enough game for Kendall Weaver. You can't expect him to every week save you. Uh, but really it comes down to Tyrese Hunter and Max Asmus. And as much as Max Asmus has been clutching games and has helped win a bunch of games this season, Max Asmus has done a lot of good things. This was as evident of a game as I've seen this season of something that I've seen multiple times during the year. And it's just, it's one of those things of having to adjust your expectations when you watch the Texas Longhorns. That Max Asmus, when his shot is not falling, he is one of the worst players on the court. When his shot's not falling. Now, when his shot falls... He's amazing because he's electric and he can score. But in that first half, he turned the ball over. He did not rebound. He did not box out. He did not, you know, cause any set screens. He 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 didn't play defense very well. He didn't really do anything. He was more a liability on the court than a positive because his shots wasn't falling. His shots weren't falling, and you can't pull him out because unfortunately Texas doesn't have the depth right now. They don't have the players on the bench they can put in to pull a Max Asmus out in the first half and say, well, cool, in the second half, you get your shot back, we'll play you more, but right now you're a liability. And as much as Tyrese Hunter had a worse game uh, offensively, went 0 for 8 in the game, scores no points, doesn't even get to the free throw line, he does have seven assists in the game. 
He does, you know, he does play really good defense on the other side. Now the defense was lacking for a lot of guys at points in the first half because, you know, mentally it's very hard to play defense at a very high level when you can't score on the other end. You get worried about it more and more in those stops. You're getting more and more uh, too uptight and you can't play defense when you're too uptight because then guys are able to get past you and you move too much on every little flinch and you're jumping for, for pump fakes because you can't let anything go by. You're not necessarily boxing out your, your three guys going over to try and block a shot and allow a, a second-chance point to come on the back end. Those were the type of things you saw in the first half. But it really came down to guard play wasn't there and at home for a first half. Max Aismas played okay in the second half. He still wasn't great. I was thrilled to see that he went and got fouls. Now, the first one was you know uh, just a heads-up play on the three-point line to be able to get someone to get his hands out and get the foul. And then he went inside a little bit more. And, and you know, we can also put that the, the refereeing in this game was wildly inconsistent from the first half to the second half. Uh, the first half did benefit Iowa State more. They weren't calling anything. They were letting the game play. Texas has four free throws in the first half. Iowa State has none. They were letting them play in the first half. But for Texas, you have to push that issue. And that's where I think a Tyrese Hunter – you know, I don't expect Max Aismas to be the guy to go fly in there and do it because he's just not big enough to do it. And, you know, when he goes in and tries to do those things, he's really good, but he gets his shot blocked more. He just, that's not really in his skill set. There's more and more things we're seeing with him that aren't really fully in his skill set. But Tyrese Hunter, that is. That's something Tyrese Hunter can do. He can put his head down and go to the paint and get someone to come over on him and draw contact. All you have to, I mean, you're just talking about trying to go at somebody and get away from them enough that they lower their hands, and when they lower their hands, go into those. Because if they come down and you go into their cut, their out hands, that's a foul. So just heads up plays like that. You would have liked to seen Tyrese Hunter do that more, but it turn, but he turns into much more of a facilitator. And we talk all early in the season about how Texas, you know, has to get away from their three big lineup because the three pointers weren't going down. Well, now if you take Tyrese Hunter and he's not able to hit threes. The, the defense can collapse in so much on Dylan DeSue that it's amazing he put up 28 points in that game. It's amazing that he was able to put up 28 points. But, I mean, you, you look at it, the 14 turnovers, you can't have that, and I know a lot of that's in the first half where you were getting bumped a lot more around the you know the three-point line and refs weren't calling it. And when they don't call that, then you need to do it on the other end. There's times where Texas gets into the point where they want to play you know, their style of basketball and the refs aren't calling it that way and they have a hard time adapting. But they need to start figuring some of these things out because this this not being able to play 40 minutes, especially at home, and, and just not playing a half and having multiple players not show up for a half, having players that when they miss shots compound it by now not putting the effort forth on the other end, it was it was a disgusting first half to watch by everyone other than Dylan DeSue, and he didn't have a lot of luck. Dylan Mitchell tried a little bit, but he wasn't able to really get it going either. He had some bad ones, but I'll say this way. For the guard play, it was disgusting to watch the guard play in that first half because every time they missed a shot, they would give up a shot on the other end because their defensive intensity was not still there. They didn't want to play on the other end, and we know if you get a stop, it's much easier to score out of a stop than it is out of an inbound. Because the defense can't reset and you get mismatches and you're able to then move the ball and create movement and everybody goes. But once you're starting from a stagnant position, it's much harder. That being said, it's also much easier to play defense when you're hitting shots because you, the same way, flipped around, don't have to be going back constantly on your heels. So Texas has to figure out 
how they can play 40 minutes, how they can play without with legs, where I don't know, again, this has to go back to there's something wrong with their strength and conditioning sessions or the schedule that they missed everything off the front of the rim in that game, and that shouldn't be happening on a Tuesday game, maybe on a Monday game, but on a Tuesday game, it shouldn't be happening. So whatever practice you're doing or workouts or whatever else you're trying to stick in there, that has to change, that your players can come out and have energy and are not trying to play well in the fourth, you know, at the end of the game, but can play with energy for 40 minutes. I don't think Texas can do that right now. And and partly of that, when you're missing shots short over and over and all your three-pointers are coming up short, that tells me, well, they worked out too hard the day before or they worked out, they practiced too hard or something happened where this is consistent throughout the season that strength and conditioning, that they just haven't looked like they've been in the right frame of rest and recovery before they get in that strength and condition. They can clearly all play 35, 36 minutes. They've all been doing it all season. They can do that. And they played well in the second half, but they were not there in the first half. Those are things you need to start addressing uh, going forward and keep trying to change up what that rest and recovery is for this Texas team because it, it it's it's getting to a point where it's costing you multiple games and I think there's something that it, it, at home they're trying to fit in more practice and more workouts because they don't have to have the flight, and it's really leaving them without legs. They get a good break that they you know you don't play again until Saturday, and after Saturday you don't play again until Saturday again. So you get a little bit of rest and you can recover as a team, and you you better hope that you beat West Virginia on Saturday. If you don't beat West Virginia on Saturday, this is where I want to see Chris Johnson playing ten minutes a game. Because I'm, I'm, you know, you're, you're, you're now pushing out of it. I know they won't, and I know that's uh, defeatist mode, and I don't want to be in defeatist mode. But you know, you want I at this point of the season when you're looking at what this roster is and seeing the fallacies of the roster, you know that if Max Aismas hits shots for 40 minutes in a game, Texas can beat any team in the country. And if Max Aismas cannot hit a shot in the first half, Texas will lose to 95 percent of the teams in this country, and it's that bad. And it's it's just such a uh, what the team is built on and how short stacked the roster is with whether it was Arterio Morris transferring out, whether it was Ron Holland going to the G League, whether it was It Horton not being able to get his shot going, whatever it is that you are expecting to be able to pull out this season in roster management, building roster where it just at the end of the day didn't shake out your way. If you were expecting another person to come in, and you know you lost them at the end. Whatever it is, you have to really look at this roster going forward and just trying to work on the small things. It doesn't feel like a small things issue anymore. It feels like a, it doesn't feel like, oh, the offense isn't working because the movement without the ball, which I, it, it needs to be better, but that wouldn't have made them made open shots. They got open shots in that game. Yes, they had, they had uh, shot clock violations because guys would kept looking for the better shot. But overall, it was it was a really painful first half to watch. That watching that first half saying it's almost impossible to climb back on a good team like Iowa State when you give them that much of a lead just because of your own your own mistakes. That even if you shot that poorly but didn't turn the ball over fourteen times in the game, you might be not you, you might be able to come back with a twelve point win in the second half. You might be able to do those things. And it just compounded last night. It was it was one of the roughest games to watch Texas play this entire season. I know they you know the West Virginia games and other games were hard to watch, but this one was one where they looked really soft in the first half, and you know guys that needed to step up really didn't. 
And uh, it, it was a disappointing across the board. And I, I think they would tell you the same thing, that it was an extremely disappointing uh, first half. In the second half, you can look at it and, and look at the positives uh, that this team was able to fight back in the second half, that this team figured it out in the second half, that you know they were able to make the adjustments and they were able to get going and, and everything seemed to get going forward. They got to the free throw line. And, and again, the, the, the way the, the refs called the first and second half were two different halves. It seemed like you had a whole different officiating crew. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to change those things up. You have to be able to go forward. And and, and first things first, you need to change up. Whatever your pregame routine is on a game day at home, I, I completely change that. Completely. And that goes from strength and conditioning to Rodney Terry to every player. Whatever you're doing before a home game, stop. It's not working. You come out, you come out you know, a lame duck in almost all of these games, and then you have to fight your way back into it, and you play well. So whether whatever it is, you need to be in a space where that needs to change at this point because you need to not be able to lose these home games at the end of the season. When we say you have to go to Texas Tech and you have to go to Baylor and you have to go to Kansas and you have to go to Houston, you can't lose another home game and expect to be in the conversation at the end of the season to be anywhere where you want to be. And we know if you get to the Big 12 tournament and Max Aismas finally figures out this is the time to be clutch and play 40 minutes of a basketball game, and when he hits his shots, he plays well on the other end too, or plays better on the other end. And if he becomes a plus instead of a minus on the court, if Tyrese Hunter becomes a plus instead of a minus on the court at times, then this team can compete with anyone in the country. But it really comes down to what those guards do because they're both transfers in that showed what they could do when they were completely ball dominant, but in a in a you know in a league where they can't be as ball dominant on a team with more talent, they're really struggling right now, and uh, they're going to have to find out that way. I don't want to rant too hard on it because I get it. We all get it. You can't shoot zero for seven from three in the first half and thirty percent from the field and expect to beat a you know a top fifteen team in the country, even at home. You just can't do it. You know, if you're if you're gonna live by the three and die by the three, you die by the three, and that's what happened last night. Another uh, Big Twelve action: Oklahoma gets their home stand back and shows again where it's supposed to be that it's hard to to win on the road in the Big Twelve. Uh, Oklahoma puts up eighty two points on BYU, eighty two to sixty six. Oklahoma is a team that's offense has been pretty bad for most of the season. Uh, BYU, though, just doesn't play the defense. Oklahoma's able to get in there. They also get to the free throw line. They hit 23 of 29 free throws in the game. They shoot 50% from the field. All of those are numbers that be, that Oklahoma doesn't normally get, and they're able to get a big win over BYU in a game where a lot of things, people thought this may be one of the death nails for this Oklahoma team that was ranked for so much of the season. That now goes away. We also get number 23, Texas Tech, Dropping to Baylor, number 13, Baylor, 79-73 to 73 in that game. Uh, again, Pop Isaacs, he's been so good for the beginning of the season, starting to cool off a bit. He goes 4 of 12 from the field, 2 of 7 from 3. Not enough power to get through Baylor where they're scoring at a high level. Uh, and Baylor just attacked him in the paint. They win the points in the paint, 36-20 to 20 in that game. Baylor keeps their shot percentage up, keeps you know getting points in the, in the paint, and did everything else well enough against the Texas Tech team that you say you can't go into someone's home and try and go shot for shot with them. You have to be able to play some defense. And, uh, you know, neither team really played a ton, but the home court advantage will take that one. Uh, over in NBA news, 
The Mavericks get a win over the Nets last night, 119-107. to Kyrie Irving puts up 36 points. Doncic goes 35-18 rebounds and 9 assists in the game. They shoot 44% from 3, which means you get a win if you're the Mavs and you shoot well from behind the arc. Uh, the Rockets put up a good fight against the Pacers, 132-129. to uh, Pascal Siakam leads the way with 29 points for the Pacers. Uh, but a good sign, Amon Thompson. Uh, goes for 13 points and 13 rebounds, 6 assists. A really good showing with him in the starting lineup. Uh, hasn't been the starting lineup a lot this season. He gets put in there last night against the Pacers and does a good job. And Jalen Green, 30-point game. Some signs of life. Ime Adoka has got that team playing better as they get into that all-star break. They're doing better and better and better. Uh, tonight, we will get the Spurs at the Heat. The Heat uh, are on uh, their third out of four week, uh, four nights playing games. Uh, it'll be a fun matchup. We'll see if Bam Adebayo and Wimby match up at all, if they try and switch them off, try and put someone bigger, or Sohan gets on uh, Bam Adebayo because that is one that Bam seems like he would want to abuse Wimby in the post and use his muscle and, and strength in the post. Should be a fun matchup tonight at 6.30 for the Spurs versus the Heat. Heat are eight-and-a-half-point favorites. They should win the game. Spurs, you want to see keeping in that number, but they finally look like they're healthy right now after a few days off, haven't played since Saturday. Uh, so some chance for the Spurs to do well and try and go pull an upset off against the Heat, but at least stay in the game, be able to play hard uh, for 48 minutes. We should also mention the trade deadline is tomorrow. We've seen a few trades go by. There may be some going on while I'm talking right now. Uh, the biggest one is probably Xavier Tillman to the Celtics for two seconds. Uh, Memphis is kind of getting rid of some pieces. They don't think they're going to be keeping next year, doing some house cleaning. Xavier Tillman, a good, uh, powerful guy, someone that's going to be kind of added into where they lost Grant Williams uh, and what he did. Xavier Tillman, similar-ish player uh, that you can add into that role and bring some toughness to this Celtics defense uh, when you're playing against a few teams. I think he'll be a really good addition uh, for the Celtics. Uh, we also get uh, Simone uh, Fatecho. Uh, he's headed to the Pistons for uh, Kevin Knox and a second-round pick. That is a shooter that the Pistons would like to re-sign. They want to add him in, so they're going to trade for him so he can get his bird rights and hopefully give him a good offer uh, at the end, but he's a free agent. And Monty Morris ends up on the Timberwolves. He had been on the Pistons. They have too many point guards right now. They wanted to move him off uh, – and the uh, Timberwolves get another point guard to add to their rotation. That we'll keep up with as much as we can on the show. Keep up with the uh, trade deadline that is looming for all the teams in the NBA. Uh, some buyers, some sellers. I don't know if it's going to be any more big trades. I feel like OJ Anubi and P Pascal Siakam are probably going to be your biggest trades of the season. Uh, a lot of these teams just don't really want to give up what you need to give up. We'll talk more about it tomorrow uh, as we actually get to the trade deadline. Uh, we'll definitely focus more on that and what trades happen, uh, but we'll keep it rolling. How about we get to Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day so we can get to the text line so we can keep rolling on the show. Uh, here's Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day. Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day on the text line 512-447-3776. You want to talk some Texas basketball, you want to talk some Texas football, whatever you want to talk about, hit us up on the text line. We'll get into that. And if you want to answer our poll of the day for a little fun, being lighthearted, I didn't want to go too hard again. If, we just, if I just had to really not be thrilled with this Texas basketball team. And I get, I'm sure there's some people on there that are going to take this on Rodney Terry, and part of it is his, but Rodney Terry can't make open shots. I'll tell you that much, he can't make open shots. So I'm not going to blame him for the fact that, you know, guys that are supposed to hit shots can't. I'm not going to blame him for that. I will blame him that they need to fix strength and conditioning. 
But that again is a you know young coach into a system or a newer coach into a system, and it'll go. Uh, what is the best? Uh, the big fat poll of the day today. What is the best snack for your Super Bowl party? And not even a party, but what's the best snack for the Super Bowl? What is your go-to Super Bowl Sunday? You have to have it. It could be meal, snack, whatever it is. If it's wings, if it's ribs, if you go, I, I'm going to smoke the brisket. We'll stay up all night, and then we'll watch the game. Or maybe it's like me. I'm a queso guy. I'm a big queso, so I'll do that and then add some nacho fixings around it, and you can go get your own plate of nachos, and you kind of go and graze on that, leave that in the crock pot. Just got to keep stirring it every once in a while. That's a favorite of mine. What is your go-to snack? What's the best snack for the Super Bowl this weekend? Give some people some ideas on the show today. We want to do that. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back, get to the text line, get to some sound from Hook'em Up with Ian Rob B. We come back here on the Sports Complex in the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons on the Horn. Snoop Dogg and D.I. D.I. Guess who's back? Steve. Still doing that shit, Andre? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Check me out. It's still Dre Day. Uh? A.K. Uh? Though I've grown a lot, can't keep it home a lot. Because when I frequent the spots that I'm known to rock, you hear the Back on Sports Complex here on The Horn, playing Super Bowl performance artists of the past years. Uh, halftime show performance artist of the last year's. Of course, we had to throw in last year's halftime show. Very good stuff. Keeping it rolling along here on the sports complex. This one, this one was really fun last year. This was fun. I, it may just be my age too that this was right in the wheelhouse of nostalgia versus good and good music and everything, and it just worked really well. They're like I've liked the other, you know, some of the other ones. Like we played the Who earlier this week. I liked the Who one, but it wasn't, you know, it was a it was a rock show and it was. It was good, but it wasn't, you know, that that one felt like it was a production and it all worked and you kept bringing out the guests and it was, just felt fun last year. Felt like a fun one last year. I'm not sure how this one will be. I feel like this one is a little bit younger than me. So I'm going to be the angry old man again. And be like, I don't know any of these songs. I don't know this. That'll be, And then someone will come out and I'll have to be like, who is that person? I don't know who they are. I'll be doing that this year. Text lines open 512-447-3776. 512-447-3776. I do want to play some audio from Hook'em Up with the Ian Rod B. Uh, we'll keep the text rolling in. Uh, poll of the day. What is the best snack for the Super Bowl? That is the question of the day. But I want to get to the sound. So we'll get to the sound, and then we'll come back uh, right after that and start answering the text line. Because I see you guys throwing some stuff in. Some I don't agree with. Some I do. Uh, some I think are valid points. Think there's some merit to some of these. Some of these, I think, maybe are sour grapes about other things and in, in, in preconceived notions. I'm trying to grow with it. I look, and I'm I'm not going to be, share, you know, blame free on anyone on that team. Dylan DeSue is the, the main one who is mostly blame free, but he may even get a little bit. He even may maybe get a little bit. We'll keep it going. I want to play this sound though. Uh, behind the burnt orange curtain with Rob Babers, who's back this morning on the morning show, uh, taking you back, looking at some of the changes in the staff. We'll get into the press conference in the five o'clock hour, but here's some good stuff from Rob Babers uh, here on this on a hook 'em up replay on the Sports Complex. All right, let's get into uh, the latest announcements uh, for the Texas football team. Uh, Cole Sark announced, and by the way, we're going to hear from Cole Sark today because uh, he's going to have that intro. It's not a Basically, it's a recruiting press conference. It's a national signing but he, day press conference. But he basically did one of those for the early signing day. 
So I just, Macy's probably just going to review the same players. So they didn't have any new commits uh, well, since, since early one of those, signing day. Well, this is one of those, you know, the media puts requests. We want to talk. We haven't heard oh, no. from Sark in a while. Yeah, we love hearing from Sark. I'm just saying, like, he's not going to share anything new because there's nothing new to share. It's the same old class from the early signing well, day. Uh, but he can discuss the actual later portal additions that they've made. Yeah. You know, the, the Isaiah Bonds, the, you know, those guys that came in after, because he had the news cards right before Christmas. Yeah, we heard was, him. He only got what? So we had one. Oh, no, you got Savea. So yeah. you got two. Yeah. You got Savea and Bond, I believe, since that early signing period. Yeah. So, the, you know, and that they're already on campus, and like, what, 26 of them are already here, the eight portal players and these 18 early in high school players. Yeah. So, you know, just talk about how winter workouts are going and uh, what the plan is. Probably would, I guess, he will probably announce the dates for spring practice as well. And there has been some rumbling that this year. They won't start spring practice till after spring break, and they'll just go full bore from spring oh, break. They don't right. split it up anymore. Yeah, the, well, that's at least some. Bobby Burton was telling me that last night on the Longhorn live stream on, on Texas football that he's hearing that maybe it's let's not go a week and then take a week off, and let's just go four weeks tr- after spring break right to the spring game, which has already been announced. The date of it. Yeah, I know Mac always liked the break in between. I think. Of our spring, he had a break a lot of times. Well, there's pros and cons, right? You can, if you just if you do like two weeks, which well, I think the injury factor when you get when you start getting guys who get a little injured yeah. and up, then you probably want to. Uh, you know what? I want my I want to maximize my practices, mm-hmm. and I can't do that if my best players aren't available, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So um, I get it. I don't think there's uh, I don't think one way works necessarily better than another. It depends on what's right for your team in that situation. So I'll give Sark credit. He obviously I would like somebody to ask him that. What did he study that made him want to switch up? Mm-hmm. The spring practice. He obviously studied something. He saw something, whether it be in injuries or whether they were able to consistently um, kind of develop guys when they had more time to do it, like three straight weeks in a row, rather than, oh, let's go for a week or, you know, eight days. Let's take a break uh, for spring break and then come back. And guys may come back out of shape too. I mean, not every guy is working their butt off during spring break. Some guys actually go to Miami. They go hang out. They go on vacation. And maybe he wants to avoid that too. Like, now you can have that, but once we're done, I don't want you guys going in between. Yeah. So well, and, and Sark has already talked about the fact he's excited about the, uh, the, the robust spring practice they can have with all the players that are already on campus, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to have depth in spring where you can actually do ones, you know, good on good a little bit and really have, as he said, like three different practices going on at one time, really getting a lot of reps in. Yeah, no, and I think for uh, for Sark, he's an offensive guy, QB. Uh, so I believe I bet some of this has to do with Quinn and them new wide receivers. But it, I don't know if he'll say that as the determining factor. But you want chemistry between those guys, and I guess if you work all the way through the spring without the break, I bet that helps him establish that that continuity, that uh, chemistry with those wide receivers too. Because that I think is the only thing that possibly can hold this offense back is whether they have good chemistry with all these brand-new wide receivers. So I think that's important. All right, we'll, we'll get to some more Texas football discussion here in a second, but I want to talk about the changes, yep. the promotions within the uh, recruiting and player personnel staff. So when we heard that Billy Glasscock was moving on to be the GM of the Ole Miss uh, Rebels, two things I said. First of all, when is Texas going to name a GM? When are they going to name a general manager? Because you see all these coaches who had NFL experience, like a Chip Kelly, uh, like a Lane Kiffin, they're thinking, I just need a GM. There's basically all this stuff is turning into player acquisitions, not just recruiting and transfer portal. I need a GM that can really look at their, the big board, if you will, and can really organize our uh, player development, our player personnel, and our uh, talent acquisition. 
And I think that's why you get more and more teams decide, you know, we're just going to give them a general manager. Forget the fancy title of director of player personnel and recruiting. We need a GM. In addition to having those other um, those, those other positions, they do have them. But I think the GM thing, as you talked about, E, it's brand new uh, to the to, to, sorry, to college football. And I think it's because college football is starting to you know, resemble the NFL little bit more in terms of uh, the player acquisition, you know, NIL, and that free market now thrust into it. Uh, so Brandon Harris is now the new GM. And I did say, remember I brought up the fact that Sean McVay offered him a job and he turned it down? And that was like three years ago. God, that's when Sean McVay was the hottest name in coaching. He could have went there for a year and, and had that on his resume. As he, I think it was the assistant quarterback, uh, assistant quarterback coach, mm-hmm. which, by the way, yes. That's, that's a big-time position. Oh, my gosh. You're one step away from being a quarterback coach. Quarterback Sean coach is one step away from being a coordinator. Yeah, exactly. And he turned that down. Guys, Brent Harris is a smart football mind. He understands how the game works. He turned that down, in my opinion, because he saw an opportunity like this on the horizon. Otherwise, you don't turn down that job. You don't turn down Sean McVay offering you an assistant quarterback job. And I think the reason he turned it down is because maybe, I don't know if he knew he was going to be the general manager. Um, but maybe, you brought this up too, maybe him and Billy Glasscock got really close. And Billy's all man, I, I'm, I'm never at one place for too long. I'm a, I'm a riser. I'm a climber. You should stick around here. Yeah. Because Sark likes you. We all like you. You got a chance to really step up into, uh, you know, into my role, which, I mean, he was the general manager, um, but step up into Billy Glasscock's role once he leaves. And so I'm not, this is a theory. We don't know for sure. But I thought it was interesting when you brought that up last week because I agree with you. I mean, why else pass up that job unless he knew something like this? What's coming. Yeah, which is – and I can't wait to hear Sark today, so I'm sure he'll be asked about what these roles mean to him and what, what general manager. Yes. Because, you know, like the NFL, it's got the title. But, like, in the NFL, the general manager is kind of on top of the head coach in a lot of cases where mm-hmm. it's either they're equal or the GM and team president, you know, run the operation and the coach coaches the team or whatnot. Yeah. In this case, Sark is still the alpha. It's Sark's program. Um, and Brandon Harris is now the general manager of – the recruiting operation, right? He's in charge yes. of the, the three under him, and they report to him. He reports to Sark, essentially, um, because Sark can't do all things for you – know, coaches can't do everything. Uh, you need someone in charge of your – I mean, because, you know, that, that's a huge title because that's your, that's your talent acquisition on, on division, right? This yeah. is how we acquire talent through high school recruiting, portal recruiting, um, you know, all those things, and, and Brandon Harris is now the GM of that. Uh, and those three people that you'll talk about under him report directly to him. He oversees that, and then he reports to Sark, I would imagine, on a daily basis about what's, what the big board looks like. Uh, but that's where I can't – because, you know, each, each coach will have a different, you know, definition of what that general manager position yes, totally role is. Whatever they need, yes. right? Whatever that, that program needs from that uh, particular person. So I agree. I, I can't wait to hear Sark describe the roles, the, the duties of the general manager. I guess that will be really interesting. So now we have a three in college football with the title general manager with UCLA, uh, Ole Miss, and now Texas. So I'm not shocked by it. I was say I wondered how long it would take Texas to give someone the general manager role in title. Uh, it took like a week. <laughs> so I think this is the new wave of college sports. So Brandon Harris, congrats to him, uh, the general manager. Uh, John Michael Jones uh, is director of player personnel. Uh, Taylor Serrell, T- Taylor Serrell uh, is the director of recruiting. So that's, yeah. Um, and she's been around there for a while, actually. I think John Bobby Burton said this last night that John Michael has been there for ten years. He's been through like three coaches now in the, within the organization. That's amazing, and has kind of risen, and has always been liked. And now, yeah, Taylor Searles. Remember, her father used to be the offensive line coach. Uh, yes, he did. And I wonder, Stacy Searles. Yeah, because you said that 
um, John Michael Jones has been there for a while. I wonder in college how you survive different regimes. You got to get in good, I guess, with CDC. But you're saying, well, see, well, how long has CDC been there? Uh, this is in, he's in his sixth year now. So right? he so he's super. So he was there right before CDC got here. Like, how do you keep that gig? You got to know. You got to know, like to like know somebody. Well, I'm assuming he's in various roles within the gig. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. I but don't. how do you end up coming back with a new regime? And you know, I guess you can You're reapply. Like, I guess you can you can reapply. Uh, yeah. And I guess maybe reapplies and they bring him back every time. That's a that's uh, that's a good sign for him. Well, and a lot of these yeah. names are brand new to most people. So we'll hear from Sark today. I'm sure he'll. And as he goes through and announces that these are his you know, front office, essentially, uh, they'll they'll get a more, little more background on who they are. And uh, Kendall Perry is the director of recruiting operations. So Brandon Harris, GM, John Michael Jones, director of player personnel, T- T- Taylor Searles as director of recruiting, and Kendall Perry, director of recruiting operations. Um, so it looks like uh, Sark is modernizing um, his recruiting approach. Um, and obviously, the the GM title is a big part of that. So I think Brandon Harris is going to be great in it. I really do. He's got he's always on the recruiting trail when they have an issue with like a coach. Say this past off season, they were hiring a D line coach. They still need to be out on you know obviously out there recruiting. And I believe he is the one that usually uh, set supplements you know whatever that 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 position coach that's not able to recruit. He will go out there and recruit. Um, in their stead. So I think he's going to be great. I do. I think he's got a lot of great ties. And like I said, he's been he's been down with Sark for a minute. Now, the well, fact that he didn't leave Sark when he had opportunities right says, says a lot. I remember Brandon Harris played quarterback at LSU mm-hmm. back in the day, and he's got great ties into the state of Louisiana, and yep. that's been a big part of his push with you know Terry Joseph, the cornerback's coach, and they've been kind of the – as Sark has said, that there is no border between Texas and Louisiana. It's just an extension of Texas for us because there's so much talent there. We, 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 we consider that more further east Texas, yeah. uh, you know, into Louisiana, into the parishes there. No, it's, it's, he's right about that. I mean, if you look at per capita numbers on states that produce the most NFL talent, they're always in the top five to seven. Louisiana's always top five to seven. That's, and then you've got California and Texas and all that stuff. But, you know, I, that's, that's sheer size. We're talking about per capita just hit rates in the state, it's hard to find a state that produces NFL players at the rate that Louisiana does. And Louisiana only got one big dog in the state. Right. One. That's the thing, LSU. right? LSU. They so, don't have any competition, really. And I think that's what Sark is saying. And LSU is a, you know, one, one huge program state. And mm-hmm. so we, we're going to compete with them. We're going to yeah. consider that our territory, exactly. too. <laughs> and A&M wants to have that conversation, too, and they have in, in years. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now Texas has the upper hand there. To go into that state and get Archie Manning or yep. Arch, Archie Manning, Arch Manning uh, Will got, Randall, his yep. teammate, uh, Derek Williams, the safety. Um, you know, they got some dudes out of that state that, uh, you know, LSU fans are like, man, we'd love to have those guys. They're playing right here in our backyard, and they're going on to Texas. So, Good stuff there from Hook'em Up with E and Robbie. We'll get into some sound from Sark uh, here in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll get to the text line when we come back from the break. Uh, poll of the day, what is the best snack for the Super Bowl? Whether it's a watch party and you got lots of people or just – with a thing that you make for yourself, whatever it is, let me know in the text line, 512-447-3776. Tell the people. Let them know what the best uh, the best meal is for uh, for a Super Bowl. Also, if you want to talk Texas basketball, you can uh, you can talk some Texas basketball as well. We'll get into it. I see some text in there, so we're going to talk about that next segment as well. Uh, I'll give a shout-out, too, since we've, we've been negative about Texas basketball. I'll be positive because I saw this on, saw this on Instagram last night. That uh, Cole Bott, one of the walk-ons at Texas, one of the players, uh, part of the practicing and all of that, is doing a uh, donation event at the South Lamar Shake Shack today uh, at 5.30. 
So if you want to go out there after work or you want to stop by the South of Mars Shake Shack, he should be over there. It's uh, benefiting Susan G. Komen for the cure. So uh, if you want to go over there and get a shake or whatever whatever else you get from Shake Shack, I don't think I've ever actually been to a Shake Shack because there was lines when I went by, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm bitter and old. That's the reason, probably. I don't try new things enough. But he will be there if you want to go say hi to Colbot and uh, help out a good cause. Uh, he'll be at Shake Shack uh, today at 5.30. So I'll give him a shout-out because I've been negative about the basketball program today. So if you want to go say hi to him, you can do that. Uh, we'll get to text messages when we come back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons only on the Horn. Back Sports Complex here on the Horn on a Wednesday afternoon. We'll get to signing day press conference audio and talk about that. Not a lot happening, but some good uh, some good cuts from Sark. A little bit to hear about, a good way to talk about Texas football. We'll get to some NFL talk as well in the 5 o'clock. We've been talking basketball for most of this. A little behind the burn orange curtain with Rob Babers as well. Some good stuff there from Hook Him Up with Ian Rob B. Playing Super Bowl halftime performance artist. Uh, that's some Rolling Stones there for you. Keeping it rolling along. Uh, Get in the text line, 512-447-3776. 512-447-3776. Whichever you guys want to talk about in the poll of the day, what is the best snack for the Super Bowl? Uh, let's see here. It's first text. There's a lot to impact in this one. I believe the pressure felt by Terry is more evident by the extra pressure he puts on his players at home. Does not allow the crowd to help him. He's more irritated at home, and players are responding as such. Also, why is he so hard on Weaver doing well and not so much on Hunter doing badly? All right. There's a few things in this. I don't I don't know quite what you mean by he doesn't allow the 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 crowd to help them. I mean, that's you can't really like the only way that would be the case is if every time the crowd got really into it, he calls a timeout, tells the crowd to get down, and goes and tells his players to plug their ears. Like that's not that's not happening. So I don't I don't know exactly how he's not doing it. Now how the players respond to it is probably because they sucked in the first half and we're not in a great mood to go celebrate when you're still down by 10 points. And the reality is most players are not going to do the big celebration and go cheer for the crowd and everything if you're still down by 10 points. So that's at least last night. There's other games where I've seen them get into it and go cheer with the fans. I know when they hit that big uh, walk-off against Baylor, then they were running around the court. They were feeling it from the crowd that night. So I don't, I don't know that one. I'm not buying into that one. Uh, I, I just don't. I don't. If you have proof or, or, or moments of it that I can go back and try and watch games, uh, but I don't know about that one. And, and I don't know if he's more irritated at home. I think he's he's irritated when they play poorly and they've played really poorly at home. I think you know that's a that's a chicken and the egg scenario. And if you say why is he hard on Weaver and not so hard much on Hunter. If you mean like why is he promoting that Weaver's doing really well but not being mad that Hunter's doing poorly, the reality of that, at least in my mind, 
is because it's all about expectations. People were not expecting. He was, he really he was high on Kendall Weaver. He talks he's talked about how he was somebody that he looked at and recruited out of high school, but he just wasn't you know they didn't have room for him on the roster. And then for him to play the season he's having, he has exceeded expectations. As far as Tyrese Hunter, he's not really that far off of what the expectations are. He's about seven eight points off of expectations. He wasn't really thought to be. He was at a high end. You thought, man, this guy will have some big games for us. He maybe can get around average around seven, eight points a game. If we get him up to 10, he'll be doing really well. But he's going to have some down games, some up games, because that's what he's done his whole career. And he's going to play really good defense for us. And he's going to go in there. Now, it's going to have a problem with bigger guards, but he's not really under expectations. And that's where I get more on Max Aismas. Is Max Aismas not his own fault? This is us as fans looked at what he did at Oral Roberts and said, well, he's clearly going to be a star player for us, and he's not so much – and he says he's in their head so much they can't get energized by the crowd. There, there's no way Rodney Terry is more in their head than any other coach that's been out there. Just as, as someone who has watched and been courtside, every single coach yells at their player, every single coach goes. It just is. Now, there's pressure of them underachieving, but that's not Rodney Terry. That's you. That's the fans. And I don't mean you, you. I mean you, the subject of you. I mean that's everyone who's on them – for not winning, that's the pressure. They feel that pressure the same as anyone. Rodney Terry is not a funnel where he stops it all and then can be all sunshine. That's just not how coaching works, and that's not any coach I've been around that is either stopping it or getting in their heads. I don't think they're worried because he doesn't bench them. The way you get into players' heads is you bench them, and he doesn't bench anybody. So he's definitely not in their head getting them to stop because he's benching them. He may get on them in a timeout, but he's he's got a seven-ran rotation right now. He's not benching anybody, and that's how you really get in someone's head is they miss three shots, and then you bench them, and they're sitting on the end of the bench pissed off, and now they're in their own head. That's how you do it. He's not doing that. So I'm not in that, but I do think he doesn't get on Hunter because I don't, I don't think there was expectations of Tyrese Hunter doing that much more. Uh, Texter says, uh, aren't these soft starts for the horns on RT? It's on RT. It's on more people. And, it, and this is the one thing where I said I, I'll put a little bit on DeSue. This is for the veterans of this team. You need team leaders, and it's not the same as football. But at the same point, uh, you need to have you need to have players be the leaders on the court. Brock Cunningham, I don't know if he's being able to have the same effect as he's had on some guys that have been there a little bit longer. I think the younger guys, maybe he's a little bit further off from being that spokesman and that team leader. We see him doing it on the court, but I don't know if he's the one getting everybody hyped up before the games. That's much more on a basketball team. You're not expecting your coach to go out there and get you pumped up. You need each other to get each other pumped up, and it depends on each player's different. Like I, I, you know, I'm a big Spurs fan. If you look at those Spurs teams, who do you think? Do you think Pop was in the locker room getting them pumped up before a game? Do you think Tim Duncan was? No, Manu and Tony had their regiments, and they would get people and people would tag with them. When you had Steven Jackson, he would get his guys pumped up. But that's the point is there's a lot of different pieces. You have to get guys pumped up. That's not solely on coaching. That's on building a culture, and the culture is changing between what Chris Beard's culture is into Rodney Terry's, and there's this leaveover of what was last year into next year, and we'll see a lot more of what Rodney Terry is and what he does next season uh, when it is when you, when, you know, when you kind of get through that last end of the Chris Beard remnants, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just It's a word I'm using, but I don't mean that in a negative way because they had a really great season last year, those players. Uh, I, but, I mean, when, you get, when you're kind of – it's all now RT guys, and these are all RT guys that are in there. And they're guys that are the guys that are there now recruited by RT as well. But once they get to, 
okay, none of these guys came here to play for Chris Beard. None of these guys are sticking around for another season. We're now guys that are going to play for Texas, and they want to be a part of something. We'll see a lot more of it, but I'm not I, – I don't know if that's – and I, but I do agree with you. The soft starts are a part of – a head coach is part of everything in the program, and if you put that on strength and conditioning, if you put that on where practices are and all that, that is on RT. I agree with you on that one. And uh, well done to Sue. He went, he went off in the second half, so he finished with the unprecedented six-game stretch of every game being a top 25 team with a 3-3 three and three record. Let's keep it real. I agree. But th- that's what I'm saying is the reality is that we have to find in this Texas basketball season is this is not a great Texas basketball team. It's a good team, but they're not a great team. And they just aren't going to be because the players aren't there this season. And so we can put it on there. Ron Holland could have made it different. Arterio Morris in his second year could have made a difference. They're not here. So there is no what ifs in that. There is, this is what it is. And so I think putting them on a pedestal of, we want this to be a top five program when it has never been in Texas history, a consistent top five program with any coach in Texas history. I I don't know why we're getting that. I know we want to aim that way, but just saying, let's get rid of RT. Let's completely rebuild. And when we get the next guy who's 65 years old and he leaves in five years, because it didn't really work out, and we had two, you know, two top ten finishes. We'll get another guy, and then we'll get another guy, and we'll never build anything. Instead of building with a guy who wants to be here, and I believe can have a better year next year. And if next year it's even worse, and then there's no hope, and then the, you know he's recruits and guys keep leaving, and if he leaves Trey Johnson and that, well then yeah, we have to have more of a talk. But I'm not on the full you know doom and gloom of Rodney Terry. I'm on a little bit more doom and gloom of this team right now being able to compete on a very high level for an extended period of time. All right. I know we went longer than that, so we'll go. Uh, we'll take a quick break at the top of the hour here. We'll come back. We'll get into uh, some Sark Presser and more of your text messages when we come back here on the Horn, uh, 1019 M1260, the Horn app, hornfm.com.